listening to another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim. This week we're talking Judas and the Black Messiah and bringing you all the latest movie and trailer news. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. And this week in particular, a fantastic film, Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm. This film follows a pivotal time in American history when FBI director J. Edgar Hoover established a counterintelligence program to crush political dissidents with black and civil rights leaders high on his hit list. With college student and rising local chapter chairman Fred Hampton in their sights, the FBI send informant William O'Neill into the ranks of the Black Panthers to report on Hampton's movements from the inside. Judas Indeed. The movie is directed by Shaka King, and this is his studio feature directorial debut, and the screenplay is by Shaka King and his writing partner Will Burson. The film stars Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield, Dominique Fishback and Jesse Plemons with Martin Sheen playing the role of J. Edgar Hoover. Completely unrecognisable too, wasn't he? He was. I kind of had to scratch my head when he first came on screen. I thought, holy heck, I love Martin Sheen here for him always. Let's jump into this story. It's not a documentary. It's a biographical drama, but Mm. they use some archival footage. And I just love when a film does that well because it really sets the tone of the film. It really takes you there, doesn't it? Yeah, just like you said, it uses it really well and effectively, Mm. mainly at the beginning of the film to set that context and to, I guess, offer you a small window into how messy and complex this time in American history was. And then it kicks off into the dramatisation of the plot. And they blended that archival footage with recreated documentary footage with Mm. Lakeith Stanfield, completely seamless. It blended in so well. So well done. Yeah, it really did. And that footage from that documentary is really pivotal to the story of O'Neill, which kind of uh, plays out Mm. throughout the course of the film and then ultimately, like, his fate. Like, it's just a very poignant use Uh, of that archival footage and then the recreation of it's incredibly effective to kick things off. The character of Bill seemed very out for himself, didn't he? He was rather than looking after the collective or being part of the larger civil rights movement, he was really looking out for number one, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I guess he he portrayed a man who was like literally trying to survive in a system that deemed him powerless. And his incredible story comes to life in this film. And he was fantastic, the actor Lakeith Stanfield. Mm. But yeah, it kind of offered an insight into the sorts of troubles and tribulations of of black Americans at this time. Mm. Quite an extraordinary story arc that we follow there. This is a very powerful story. But one thing that maybe didn't hit home quite the way it should have was that it takes a long time for Bill to become uncomfortable with what he's done, with the betrayal Mm. that he's done. And there was a scene towards the end of the movie where he's standing in a corner, absolutely losing his shit and no one's noticing. Did that feel weird to you? It felt weird, but it was quite overacted, I suppose. Does that make sense? Mm, Something about it wasn't quite right. And maybe that's because the film doesn't really delve into his motivations as much because... I mean, there's an inner turmoil that must be going on and it's never fully Mm. fleshed out properly, despite him being the main character of this movie. I mean, how does he feel about what he's done? It never fully is realised for me 
What did you think? Yeah, maybe it was a choice of the filmmakers that it was maybe up to you to interpret what his position mm. in history was. Like You kind of did get flavours of more so at the beginning that he was kind of very nonchalant. He wasn't mm. really politically active, but he found himself in a situation that deemed him powerless where he basically had no choice, which is a common theme that runs Mm. through here it's at the positioning these uh, minorities in society and and the perception of them and i think that yeah it kind of just played out i I feel like more this film was more about fred hampton though really and kind of yeah identifying who he was as a man because from my perspective like i don't know about you but often we get swept up in historical spectacle Mm. like the story of fred hampton was that he was assassinated Mm. in this film we kind of learn who he was as a man a little bit more and that's the focus of the film uh in trying to establish his legacy a little bit more about this relatively unknown piece of history or something Mm. that's like not well known at least yeah See, when it comes to Bill, though, I felt that they painted mm. him as a, a one-note character. He was entirely self-involved, and there were elements of that, I'm sure, in the real Bill, but I highly mm. doubt it was that black and white. And yeah. I think if they spent more quality time with Bill and his FBI agent handler, Roy Mitchell, who's played by Jesse Plemons, it would give a bit more context to that because their relationship is really important. I believe in real life, Bill had said that Mitchell was a father figure or a someone to look up to, an inspiring figure for him. And I don't think that really came across Mm. in the film. Did you? Yeah, he did mention that in the VO towards Mm. the beginning that he did position him as a father figure. You're right. I mean, okay, this is one line in the film that might help you or help like have a conversation Mm. about why he may have come across a little bit black and white and less complex, trying to figure out his motivations Mm. and why he was doing it. But it was an exchange between... O'Neill and the FBI agent Roy Mitchell, and it was a badge is scarier than a gun. Mm. So are we maybe being a little bit too harsh on O'Neill and his portrayal when maybe he literally had no choice in the matter? Like he just had to go with it. But it's very complex, incredibly complex. But I would have liked to have seen more of the inner struggle with that, Mm. you know, fighting against that or because he he went along with it quite easily. Yeah, you are right. That's how it was portrayed in the film. But I mean, it was the same with Hampton as well with Fred Hampton. His motivations came through really late in the piece when he he's sort of talking to the mother of a dead son about why he got involved in activism. Mm. And Mm. it would have been nice to have seen more of that to understand his motivations too. I think the movie kind of drops you into a moment in time Without enough context. And from my perspective, I'll put my hand up that I don't know a lot about this moment in history or the Black Panther movement. So I did feel a little bit kind of boom, like thudded dropped into this Mm. and I would have appreciated a little bit more context. So I agree with you there. So you thought it wasn't overly effective in kind of educating the audience initially in what was going on? I think that was effective in terms of the political moments in time or the milestones Mm. that were happening, but the characters themselves, I would have liked to have seen a deeper understanding of who these men were. I definitely wanted to learn more from this film. Yeah. I mean, it's a heavy subject, but there were some really beautiful moments in there too. Like 
I really enjoyed how it marks time with these lovely little moments without being jarring or losing the focus of the film. So you get little snapshots Mm. of Fred falling in love with his partner. Mm. And there's some lovely moments in there where his partner is reading poetry to him and they're juxtaposed with violence. And I think that shows that Mm. words are just as important tools when it comes to starting a revolution. You know, it's not just about violence, it's about convincing people. Oh, 100%. And I totally agree that it was such a nice inclusion in the story to follow the developing romantic relationship that Fred Hampton had mm. with his partner. And from my perspective, in the midst of a very complex narrative of a lot of political jargon mm. and, and positioning, that it gave light and shade to these characters a little bit more. And you got to know them at a much deeper personal level Mm. in these little moments, these really beautiful poetic moments, like you've said, where you saw more than just their political viewpoint, but their personal lives. And I thought that was a really great platform, not only for the actors to really lean into the into the role, but also for the audience to try and understand these as these people as human beings as well. And then you get to the climax of the film, which is completely Mm. horrific and made all the more horrifying because you know it's true. Oh, my gosh. I was so affected by that. Mm. It was a very powerful moment in the film. And no spoiler here because, you know, this is how the story plays out. But it's, you know, basically right at the end. Mm. And it just, you know, packs a punch. It's an extraordinary piece of filmmaking uh, as well as a really pivotal moment in history that this film is trying to portray. And can we jump to the performances then? Because in that moment, Mm. Dominique Fishback's performance was outstanding. I just wish she had more to do in this film. Yeah, she kind of was introduced pretty early on, but then the film went in a few other directions and then she kind of came back in more towards the end. And I think she was an absolute joy to watch Mm. and incredibly powerful portrayal. And fantastic chemistry between her and Daniel Kaluuya as their relationship developed. It was completely believable and so natural, so easy. It was really beautiful. Can we talk about Daniel Kaluuya? Because my goodness me Mm. how magnetic and powerful Mm. was he as fred hampton he really embodied that role and couldn't you tell that it it felt deeply personal to him as an actor and and a a black man yeah yeah he really embodied the charisma and the natural Mm. leadership qualities of fred hampton who was a very charismatic person i understand and he was so young he was only 20 21 yeah ah that is an extraordinary it's so upsetting Uh, a man who had so much potential and influence and he was you know the leader of this revolution extraordinary how much he achieved in his short life Mm. but tragic that his life ended so early he had so much more to to offer and prove well there was one thing about daniel's performance though Mm. and i'm keen to hear your perspective i found sometimes his audibility really hard to understand and i found that i was missing a lot of key pieces of dialogue and I think that was really unfortunate Mm. it didn't impact my interpretation of his performance and the impact that had on me but I think I just missed a lot Mm. of the story because I couldn't understand what he was saying yeah no I felt the same I did think of that but and I wondered if it was maybe that Fred Hampton himself spoke like that but then we Mm. saw footage of Fred Hampton at the end and could understand him fine so yeah he was very clear yeah so maybe that's a performance choice yeah, potentially. I, I honestly think that I would re-watch this film again and I think with the inclusion of subtitles will just help me take in more context mm. uh, and, and dialogue, which is really vital here. 
Did you feel through the writing of the characters and the script development and the story development that there was maybe a reverence for Hampton there and a bit of a distaste for O'Neill, which is, look, not undeserved because what he did was pretty horrible and he had to Mm. live with that and carry that with him until his untimely death. But do you wonder if on behalf of the creative team there was an unconscious bias there that hindered the characters being fully developed? Wow, that's a really interesting perspective. Maybe. I guess I can't really talk on behalf of the creative team. You can't? You've not been in touch with them? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You say that they positioned Fred Hampton maybe in this way of reverence. Mm. And I wonder whether it was maybe the choice of cinematography and close-ups. They tended to use close-ups at the moments where he was giving speeches, which was when he was sharing those really powerful poetic Mm. uh, words to to his followers in the community. And I think those close-ups delivered a real sense of power and conviction Mm. to the words that were spoken and may have, you know, elevated him on that pedestal creatively. Do you Mm. think, like, that was very effective, I think, in the storytelling. Absolutely. Does that kind of maybe position him in that place of reverence yeah definitely and it lends a sense of intimacy i guess to getting to Mm. know him so that did help in that sense and i mean the reverence is not undeserved he was a very Mm. inspiring figure in history i just think i would have liked to have seen it maybe the layers beneath these two characters come out a little bit more okay so a common theme i think both of us are feeling here is that there was a lot more depth to these characters in this story that was deeply complex Mm. i wonder if this story would serve an audience better if it was told in some sort of like limited series where you could really delve Mm. deeper into the complexities of this narrative. Uh, Maybe that's what, where this story could live better in that context, perhaps. Maybe. Yeah, you might be right. All in all, the cinematography was exceptional in this Mm. film, wasn't it? And quite a bit of the action takes place in, in and around cars. Yeah. And I think that it used that space really effective and it drove a lot of the narrative and a lot of the plot developments. A lot of stuff happened in cars. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I think this is one of the most effective films in establishing a set, like a time and place in the 60s since Tarantino did in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood back in 2019, like incredibly effective storytelling. Yeah, I was really, really impressed. And the music wasn't overt or jarring. It really fit in really well, didn't it? Yeah, definitely. One of the opening scenes where O'Neill's walking down the street with all that swagger Mm. and that cloak and and the music really kind of positioned you in that period and time really effectively and just wove really organically throughout the life of the film. I loved the music. The soundtrack was unreal. So I think it's time to review Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, absolutely. So I found this film incredibly powerful right and it was Mm. it's such an important story that's been told it offered an incredibly raw insight into the political happenings of the time and highlighted the people within it it was a story i was very unfamiliar with personally and it has ignited in me some kind of responsibility to learn and educate Mm. myself more about this time in history the performances and the direction uh, from Shaka King was absolutely world-class. And despite its flaws that we've discussed, mm. I was very taken by this film. So I'm going to rate it for Popcorn Kernels, Lee. So Judas and the Black Messiah was dignified in its portrayal of a really tragic story. 
and I loved that it was not salacious or exploitative. It was just a really mm. sensitive telling of these events in history. And I think the sign of a really good film is that it makes you want to learn more about a pivotal moment in history. And this film did that. It's incredibly effective and it gets you invested and teaches you and encourages you to seek out more. I think the performances were outstanding and I completely agree with you that the direction for a first-time feature director was outstanding. I'm going to give it three and a half popcorn kernels. Fantastically. So Judas and the Black Messiah is in cinemas from March 11th. Okay, Tim, before we jump into news, we have to remind everyone about our exciting ticket giveaway for our Australian listeners. Thanks to Mad Men Entertainment, we have five double passes to give away to see Girls Can't Surf in cinemas from March 11. The documentary tells the true story of a group of female surfers in the 1980s and early 90s who took on the male-dominated professional surfing world in a fight for inclusion, recognition and and equality. Now guys, to be in with a chance of scoring a double pass to see this inspiring documentary, simply head to our Instagram or Facebook page and comment girls can surf on the giveaway post. Now I've seen this film, Tim. I was lucky enough to get into a preview screening and it is fantastic. There's a little teaser for you. Make sure you get in on this competition because you'll definitely want to see this film. I currently have serious FOMO, but I am seeing it very soon myself. So then (laughs) we'll be able to discuss it on an episode very, very soon. Really can't wait. Now, Tom Holland, the cheeky little devil, Zendaya and Jacob (laughs) Batalan all shared images from the set of the third Spider-Man film and trolled us with different title cards playing on the use of the word home, which has been used in all the previous titles. We had Spider-Man Phone Home, (laughs) Spider-Man Home Slice, and (laughs) Spider-Man Home Wrecker. Spider-Man Caramel Slice uh, was one of my favourites. No, this sent the world in a tizzy. It sent you in a tizzy. It sent me in a tizzy. It sent my husband in a tizzy who's got a serious crush on Tom Holland, let me just say. (laughs) But, guys, then the real title was finally announced. It is going to be called Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, This third Spider-Man movie concludes Tom Holland's contract with Marvel as well, interestingly. so Doesn't mm. that sound ominous? No way home. From where, guys? Where? I interpret it as no way home from the multiverse, like he's lost in there somewhere. Mm. Gasp, shock, horror. Now, you mentioned the end of Tom Holland's contract with Marvel. Mm. Surely not. He's so popular and he's barely gotten started compared to some of the other actors in the Marvel Universe. Yeah, barely gotten started. And if you can cast yourselves back a couple of years, I think it was where Spider-Man was actually removed from the MCU and then got put back in Mm. after crazy pillaging from (laughs) the community and Tom Holland himself. So, I mean, I agree with you. This can't be the end. There'll be a new contract and his story will continue within the MCU for sure. But historically, the Spider-Man films have all been three films and then they go and reboot it with a different character. I don't think that's going to happen this time somehow. No, I think he's going to break the mould here, Lee. Watch this space. Now, Mission Impossible 7, A Quiet Place Part 2 and more upcoming Paramount picture releases will debut exclusively in theatres as planned. That's, phew, a relief. However, the (laughs) studio has decided to shorten the amount of time they will play exclusively on the big screen. So after 45 days, new Paramount theatrical films will land on their budding streaming service, Paramount+. 
Mm, super interesting. Now, just to give some wider context here. So prior to that little thing called the global pandemic, mm-hmm. movie theater operators insisted that movies had to screen in theaters for 90 days, three months, yeah. uh, before studios could offer them on home entertainment, right? But the year-long closure of movie theaters uh, literally upended traditional ways of doing business and the distribution strategies of, of film distributors. The likes of Warner Brothers, right, are releasing all their titles on their streaming platform, HBO Max, on the same day as theaters in the US. So this is just another way of skinning the cat here, right? And just, mm-hmm. you know, business as usual, finding other ways to pivot and make money and get content out. At least they're doing 45 days, which I think is good. Mm. I think Universal has something like 17 days, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm. So it's still quite a good window, but definitely nothing like the three months. But I mean, content is being churned out so quickly at the moment that they could play for three months. They didn't often do that. There was only special movies that did that. Yeah, three months is quite a long window for a film and only the really successful ones that had like a great big word of mouth Mm. uh, platform behind them that saw that longevity in theatres. And look, these uh, film studios need to play with the likes of Netflix and and Mm. locally a streaming service called Stan here where original content can just be you know, blasted out to consumers Mm -hmm. to watch on their own accord. So, I mean, this is just an answer to that trend in watching content in this world. We're being bombarded a bit and people say this is the death of cinema, but I don't think Mm. so. I think there's always going to be room for that shared experience of watching a film on the big screen. Yeah, it's a huge challenge for uh, cinema operators, but I completely agree with you. If I have a choice of going to the cinema or sitting on my couch Mm. watching a film, I will absolutely choose the cinema and that will never change. And that's what we're about here at Popcorn Podcast. So get your butts back into the cinema when you can safely. Yes, of course. Now, Lee, I'd love to hear you take us through this piece of news. I know you love Wesley Snipes. Do I? I don't know. I actually (laughs) thought you did. Did I make that up in my head? (laughs) Yeah, I think you did. I mean, you know. (laughs) <laughs> don't hate the guy, He's but all right. could take him or leave him. I don't know. Uh, Wesley Snipes <laughs> has shared via an interview with Uprox that he is developing a sci-fi action flick that will, and I quote here, smoke all of the Blade stuff. Now, of course, he's referring to the Blade reboot from Marvel starring Mahershala Ali, which Snipes is not involved in, but he's very happy for them, so he says. Wesley Snipes, for those that don't know, originally played Blade in three films Mm. back in the late 90s, early noughties, which are very successful. So apparently Snipes is working on a supernatural action project that he has nicknamed the Blade Killer, which will be set in the world of shapeshifters and feature a bit of time travel. Just throw that into the mix. Why not? Yeah. It's like, I'm not bitter, but... (laughs) But I'm going to call this film a Blade Killer. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, not bitter at all. Now, Michael Bay, the godfather of explosions and action... (laughs) has shared a pretty intense behind-the-scenes stunt video from his upcoming movie Ambulance, which shows explosions and cars flying through the air and the crew appearing to almost get hit by a careening ambulance rig. Yeah, quite ironic that the film is called Ambulance and having personally watched this clip 
like over and over and over. I just could not believe what I was seeing. So guys, we will absolutely put that up on our own Instagram account for you to check out and rewatch <laughs> and admire this spectacle. Now, Bay said, and I quote, we do these controlled but dangerous looking shots. It takes a great crew to make these shots possible, knowing the physics involved. At the end, everyone was safe. That's good that he had to call that out. They didn't look safe. <laughs> <laughs> they did not look safe. Uh, the phone video makes it look scarier than it was in person. I bloody agree. But I, I kind of can't imagine that it would be more scary watching it from my phone than it be yeah. actually in situ there on the set. Crazy. Now, Ambulance is a remake of a Danish film. Bay is directing it and it stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II as bank robbers who steal an ambulance with a critical patient on board. Sounds like the family viewing that we all need in our <laughs> lives right now. It's what we've come to expect from Michael Bay, really, isn't it? 100%. Sans robots in this, but definitely not sans <laughs> explosions, as you'll experience on our Popcorn Podcast Instagram when you check out the clip. And I think that about covers it for another episode of Popcorn Podcast. Tim, what do you think? I agree. And as we always say, absolutely jam-packed. We reviewed the extraordinary and incredibly important historical drama Judas and the Black Messiah, which is in Australian cinemas from March 11th. And it's also your last chance this week to enter the Girls Can't Surf giveaway. Trust us, you'll want to see this movie. It's incredibly inspiring, so moving and just uh, a fist pump of a movie. Go out and see it when it's in cinemas in March 11. Get amongst the competition, guys. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. If you enjoy our episodes, head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. While you're there, we would love you to rate us and leave a review. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio.